Let's Fix Work is proudly sponsored by Ultimate Software. Human resources, payroll, talent management, they've got it all. Please visit ultimatesoftware.com to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. Today's guest is Dr. Jelena M. Bonner. She's the assistant professor in the management department of the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. Oh, yeah, we've got an academic on the show. She received her PhD from Oklahoma State University, and her research interests include behavioral ethics, ethical leadership, emotions, and here we go, workplace deviance. Jelena has written a new paper about employees who sabotage the customers who mistreat them. So if you're interested in learning about why employees spit in people's food, yeah, we're going there. Sit tight and I'll be right back with Dr. Jelena Bonner and more Let's Fix Work. Work is broken. And so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first, and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, Jelena, welcome to Let's Fix Work. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here with you today. Yeah, why don't you tell us where you're coming from today? Where are you live and in action from? Well, I'm coming to you live from Utah State University in the beautiful city of Logan, Utah. So Utah State University, home of the what? We are home of the Aggies. Oh, the Aggies. I know the Aggies. All right. Well, are there a few Aggies or just one Aggie? Like schools that have Aggies as their mascot? There are so many of them. (laughs) All right. But we're going to pretend that yours yours is the most important. That's right. That's right. You know, you came into my inbox literally from your director of communications who had a wonderful piece of research that you've done. So what made you do this research? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So the research that I've done with some colleagues out of several other universities, we've been looking into studying employee-customer interactions, especially hostile interactions. So it's not surprising to hear that employees who have been mistreated by a customer will often seek some kind of revenge or retaliation in the form of sabotaging that customer in some way. And that's what we are seeking to understand. So we understand that this happens, and it may be something that many of us have actually experienced in the past, whether we were the employee being mistreated or we were actually the customer mistreating somebody, because we've we've been there. We understand that this happens, but what's not really understood is the underlying process explaining why we move from being mistreated to then mistreating the other person, right? So... Our research just kind of sets out to better understand this emotional and cognitive process that happens there, um, like what underlies that. Because once we can understand the process, we can look for ways to disrupt the process. So that's really interesting that you are focused on employee interactions with customers where the employee has been mistreated by the customer and lashes out. So what kind of lashing out behaviors did you observe or did you study? Is this spitting in food? Is it being a jerk? Like what what's the spectrum of behavior included in the study? So in terms of the way employees might lash back out or retaliate against the customer, there are a lot of ways that we can sabotage, seek to sabotage a customer. And one of those ways, and a very obvious way, is spitting in somebody's food. And we hear a whole lot about that happening. Um, there are a lot, you know, there's media reports or news stories about people getting fired because they've spit in somebody's food. I actually saw a video when we were doing this research. I was looking all over online for 
for videos of this stuff. And I saw at a McDonald's, a guy, a customer got into an argument with an employee about his fries not being fresh. And he actually jumped over the counter and physically assaulted the employee. Oh, so, that, oh, no. <laughs> um, so like that is an extreme example of, of a customer mistreating the employee. And then those employees will respond back in a variety of ways. Maybe it's through sabotaging your food or your order. Maybe it's through taking longer than necessary to do your work, or perhaps they speed through your work and you get it done really quick. And so there's maybe a lot of errors or mistakes, or I can put you on hold for longer than is really necessary. I can transfer you to somebody who's not going to be helpful to you, kind of give you the runaround. So there are a lot of ways that we can sabotage customers. Wow. That's really interesting because I have been on both sides of that experience. I have been the jerky customer, like I'm having a bad day and I take it out on the person who's earning you know, 10 bucks an hour. But I've also been that girl who scooped ice cream or worked at the Chinese food shop in Palatine, Illinois, Hang Wing and took orders from really angry people who were angry with me for no reason. And I'm like, oh, did I mess up your egg foo young order? That's too bad. you know. So I, I get this interaction. But I also know that when I'm an employee, there are consequences for my behavior. If that customer complains, I'm probably going to get fired. And yet, I pulled some stuff anyway. So even when employees know there are consequences, why do they still lash out after a hostile interaction? Well, and this is what's so interesting about this phenomenon is that there are consequences to it generally, right? And even though employees know that it's harmful to react to you know, mistreating customers with mistreatment of their own, they still do it. We still do it. And, and it's, bad for, it's bad for the organization in terms of customer relationships. It's bad for the organization in terms of the organization's reputation. But it's also, like you say, risky behavior for the employee. Like I could get fired if that's if that behavior is found out. And I likely will be at least reprimanded if not fired. And again, there have been news stories all over about people being fired for engaging in these bad behaviors. Starbucks employees, Domino's, Subways, these are just some recent ones. So we were interested in understanding then why given these risks, right, we as employees would retaliate against the customers with our own bad behavior. You know, even though it's going to be very risky for us. And what we found was that the response to mistreatment, these responses we have to mistreatment are very quick. They're intuitive responses. So we have this intuitive emotional response when we're mistreated. So think about when you were a customer service worker at the Chinese restaurant, right? And somebody yells at you, you probably experienced an intuitive response in the form of any anger towards that person or hostility. Right, so you get hostile towards them and a bit angry. Um, and we found that this, this response is quite intuitive and really quick. Right? It's an intuitive response. Can we extrapolate and say that this is like from family of origin trauma or anything like <laughs> super, <laughs> super psychological? Well, or is this the way we're hardwired? Or, or why are we having this immediate reaction and then also acting on it? Because some people have a little bit of distance between what they feel and how they act. But in your study, you focused on individuals who have a reaction and act on it and they don't pause. They don't self-soothe. They don't do the things that normal, mature individuals would do if they get mad in a moment and then offer some grace. Right. So getting back to that first part of that question about where do these emotional responses come from? Well, our emotional responses are sort of trained in us, right? So we learn from past experience or vicarious experiences when we saw somebody else being mistreated, 
right? We saw that it was harmful to that person. And so when we experience mistreatment, we anticipate harm and it makes us angry. Like, why is this person, like they're trying to harm me. I get angry and hostile towards them. And so it's these, we learn these emotional responses as well as some, sometimes they're more intuitive in us, like born within us, but also we learn these emotional responses. So this research really highlights what's called the social intuitionist approach to moral judgment. This basically means that we like to think that our moral judgments and our moral behaviors are well thought out and we think about them and we think about being ethical. But really what happens and what our research is showing and what this theory talks about is that our ethical responses or our behavioral responses are often intuitive rather than thought through. It's more an intuitive response to a situation. So I experience hostility towards this customer who's mistreating me and that hostility leads to a very quick moral judgment or moral cognition of the situation. And in this instance, we find that it actually causes people to devalue the customer. So right, I, I devalue you as a human being. So I no longer really see you as a human being or I see you as you're sort of to blame for whatever happens to you because you're being a jerk. And this is what we call a technique for morally disengaging from a situation. Right? So I can divorce myself from my moral standards by devaluing that person. And then I feel perfectly fine engaging in bad behavior. But it's a very fast, kind of a fast process that occurs. Well, how fast is it? Is it uh, milliseconds, seconds? Because I think of these situations and they're impulsive and it's almost as if we make a decision in like microseconds and then we act, right? There's no gap between the feeling and the action. So how fast is that decision to dehumanize and devalue? It's quick, right? This process is a quick process, which in some ways is good. It's kind of encouraging because then it's like, oh, this person maybe isn't meaning to be a jerk, but the situation is like too much and it's pushing them down this way. I love I love how you're an optimist about it, even though this is really super depressing. Well, listen, I know there's got to be a way that we can mitigate this bad behavior. And I would imagine that the people who listen to Let's Fix Work are executives, business leaders, small business owners, HR professionals, mm -hmm. people who lead teams. And I would imagine that leaders of teams can do something, whether it's uh, training or improving the company culture. How do you mitigate this bad behavior and make sure it doesn't happen? Because short of teaching somebody moral philosophy, I don't know exactly what you're supposed to do. Well, that's an, that's an excellent question. And in our research too, we look, at, we look at that too, because we want to understand how to disrupt this process. Well, there's good news for, for organizations, for leaders of organizations, because our research does find that as companies cultivate and maintain an ethical culture, you know, this is a, a culture where employees perceive that the policies, practices, procedures, that these strongly underscore ethical principle, right? This can help disrupt this intuitive process that we've been talking about, because we're causing people then to think more naturally about the ethics of the situation. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And listen, Jelena, when we come back from the break, we're going to go further down the rabbit hole of what I feel is like an episode of The Good Place and talk about moral philosophy and also talk about what an ethical work environment will look like. So sit tight and everybody sit tight as well. We'll be right back right after the break with more Let's Fix Work. Hey, everybody, Lori Rudiman here to talk to you about ongoing leadership and development opportunities. Now, I'm no longer a human resources leader, but I'm staying current with HR best practices. That's why I'm thrilled to partner with Ultimate Software to help promote its educational and totally complimentary HR workshops. That's right, everybody. Ultimate is giving you some free continuing education. 
Ultimate Software brings together industry experts, knowledgeable and inspiring speakers, along with a variety of HR, payroll, and talent management professionals for full-day masterclasses packed with networking, thought leadership, and education. During the Ultimate Software HR workshops, you're going to learn about time-tested HR solutions that companies like yours have implemented to improve their organizations. You'll also leave with the tools and strategies that'll help you succeed in your daily responsibilities. And bonus, you're going to earn HRCI and SHRM professional development credits and APA recertification credits. And by the way, did I mention it's all free? Ultimate Software is hosting dozens of free educational HR workshops across the country, and they might be coming to a city near you. So check out ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW for details and to find the right workshop that'll set you ahead in your career. That's ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW. One more time, ultimatesoftware forward slash LFW. Check it out now, and maybe I'll see you in a city near you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman, and I'm here today with Dr. Jelena Bonner. And Jelena, you have never done a podcast before. And if only people could hear the chit-chat between us back and forth, I would love it. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. It's it's fun. This is, this is a fun forum to talk about research. Well, I'm just going to tell people what we were talking about and that you're not a big advocate or user of social media and you (laughs) barely touch your LinkedIn account. Is that true? That's accurate. Yes. (laughs) So if anything, hopefully my little mid-roll PSA to you will make the case for getting on LinkedIn and being active. I think it's a personal branding tool that's the least obnoxious out there. But do you have friends or academics who are on any of these social media platforms? You know, there's quite a few academics on Twitter. Um, and they oh, yeah. send out, yeah, right. They send out their cool research stuff via Twitter and just share things via Twitter. And so... And talk to themselves and sound all smart and impressive, that's right? right? That's right. <laughs> like you, everybody you else on check, Twitter. Yeah. You can check my LinkedIn page in a month and I'll put something on there. Oh, I love the challenge. I love the challenge. All right. By the end of January, we're going to have a LinkedIn page that's a little bit meatier than what it is right now. I love it. Listen, you are such a smart, good writer and you wrote some stuff that I really enjoyed in the research. So here we go. I'm going to give you a quote and ask you to reflect on it. You ready? All right. All right. You wrote that when a work environment has a strong culture of ethical behavior through both formal policies and informal values exemplified by other employees and managers, employees are more likely to control their reactions and behave professionally when they're treated poorly by the customer. And you made that point in the first half of the show. So can you truly define what a culture of ethical behavior looks like? Because I think most organizations believe they have an ethical environment when they don't. Right. Yes. Because an ethical environment isn't just having a statement of conduct or like our ethical code of conduct, right? A lot of companies have those and they put it on their webpage and that's all that happens. That's not promoting an ethical conduct. That's more like lip service. That's it. But ethical cultures, that comes from leaders. That comes from top down. So leaders play an important part in developing and maintaining an ethical culture And that's why it's important for organizational leaders themselves to develop themselves as ethical leaders, because as they develop themselves as ethical leaders, they put themselves in a position to role model ethical behavior, which builds an ethical climate. 
So, so that's like a house of cards for me because I still think there's the CEO on top who generally is some paternalistic dad in a hierarchical structure. And he, for the most part, always believes he's behaving ethically. Even when he's running Enron into the ground or working at Bear Stearns, he believes he's an ethical guy. And so what does ethical leadership really look like? Is there a definition? Are there components? Is there a test that we can take? Yeah, there are actually two major components to ethical leadership. So the first component is a moral person. You have to be a moral person. That's component one. And the second component is to be a moral manager. And that's the more difficult component. So let's go through these these couple of components and we'll talk for a little bit about moral manager or a moral person, right? A moral person is essentially like who I am as a person. I'm telling people who I am as a person. I'm a moral person. Like I act with honesty. I have integrity. I'm trustworthy. These kinds of things. But I make behaviors I, or make decisions. I try to make fair decisions or I make decisions based on my values, right? These are components of a moral person. And hopefully we're, we're all striving to be moral people. That's only one part of being an ethical leader. The other part is the moral manager part. And this is perhaps the more difficult part for people to do because it's not enough just to be that moral person, but you also need to be a moral manager. And this part, like the moral manager, is the part that tells employees, it tells your subordinates how they should behave. And and it's about role modeling appropriate behavior to your subordinates. So you are making ethical decisions, you're doing things in the proper manner. But also, I think really important, it's about you role modeling when you're making decisions within an organization. It's about you role modeling the role of ethics or values in those decisions, right? So you're talking about how does this decision align with our values or how does this decision that we're making, how is it going to affect customers or the environment or our employees? So it's making clear when you're making decisions that that's an important thing to consider. So that's an important part of it, right? So leaders as teachers is, is seems to be the theme here. And I think so often leaders get caught up in making numbers, being accountable to the board, making sure they're compliant with roles and regulations. And they forget this component of leadership that's so important in that you have to be a teacher. You know, are, do you see a trend? And I, and I don't know if you do, where more and more companies understand that part of leadership is teaching? Because I think so often supervisors, managers, leaders, they're just busy and they just forget and behaviors creep up that shouldn't creep up. So I don't know. Do you have a reaction to any of that? Well, not only do they forget, but also it's kind of hard. Like they forget that they need to talk about ethics, right? And it's hard. It's not just they forget, but it's also hard to talk about some moral issues at work because, you know, people might look at us weird or we don't want to be like a goody two-shoe. And so it can be hard for us even to talk about that at work, but it, it is an important component, right? People need to be reminded that ethics are important. There's some fascinating research that talks about how in an educational environment, if you give students the code of conduct to sign before they take a test, right? You promise to be trustworthy. You promise to be honest and not cheat. If they sign that before they take a test, they're less likely to cheat. Right? And this sort of experiment's been done in business settings as well, where we find if we can prime people or remind them of ethics or morality, they're more likely to behave as they should. So it's about we need to make sure that we are reminding people of these things and not just saying there's the code of conduct and look at it once a year. And we need to remind leaders of it as well. Yes. I think there needs yeah. to be some peer-to-peer accountability because while we are focused on individual employee disruption, 
and lashing out at customers. Mm -hmm. It's not as if employees are the only people who behave poorly. Working managers behave poorly. CEOs behave poorly. I mean, it's, it's up and down the chain, the career ladder, if you will, at any organization. You know, I love that you suggest that employers can teach employees to properly respond to harsh or angry customers without sabotage by offering mindfulness training, which is something that's very trendy or putting um, employees in role-playing scenarios where they practice proper responses to antagonistic customers. So have you seen this in action or is this just a theory? Does it really work? So we provide these as techniques and we recommend these techniques as things to try to help. (laughs) Try mindfulness. It solves everything. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Um, Or or role-playing. I am a big believer in role-playing because I I think and I, I actually use this technique with my students in class. Because if we can expose people to these problems before they happen, we are giving them a different way or at least a different way to respond to them rather than their intuitive response. So right, the process we talked about is kind of intuitive, but if we can give you another way to respond and make that something that you think about that pops into your head rather than intuitively responding with hostility and evaluation, if you can practice that response, it maybe becomes more intuitive. No, I love that. Except I know from working in human resources for over 20 years that people hate role-playing. They do. (laughs) Do you know why that is? Why is that? It it feels a little bit uncomfortable and and disingenuous sometimes. Like my students hate to do it in class. You know, they talk about how uncomfortable and awkward they feel. But I think that's great because that is the way it is going to feel in real life too. Like you're going to feel real uncomfortable in these types of situations So you might as well practice feeling that way now. And hopefully you can think back on this later. So yeah, they do feel uncomfortable, but I don't know. I think that that can be a helpful tool. Spoken like a true teacher, man. (laughs) (laughs) I like to make them do things they don't like to do. I I love that. As it should be. That's what school is all about. (laughs) Well, listen, we'll wrap up this segment with your hot take on this topic. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about employee interactions with hostile customers? Like, where is this going? Well, I'm optimistic in terms of, like, we can look for ways to mitigate these responses, right? Ethical culture can help us mitigate these responses. So I'm, I'm optimistic about that. And I really do hope that, that organizations will really start to focus more on ethical culture. I'm a behavioral ethicist, really. Like, I study behavioral ethics. That's what I study. And so I'm optimistic about that. I'm a little bit less optimistic about how we as customers interact with employees, right? Because that's where a lot of problems can come from. And we need to do more research into that. Like why are customers mistreating employees and how can maybe organizations, what are the things that they can do to help mitigate customers mistreating employees? I'm a little bit less optimistic about changing customers because we see all kinds of terrible things happening. Oh, man. Could it be that people are just morons? Is that the answer to this? <laughs> yeah. Morons. Really selfish. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, right. We're all broken. Right. We are, yeah. Well, I live here in the South. And one of the things that um, struck me is the code of conduct at Waffle House. Like you can't walk into a Waffle House without seeing a code of conduct sign because people behave so poorly at Waffle Houses that they have to clarify the rules that you can't be a jerk. You can't swear at the employees. And it's not just Waffle House now. I've seen this crop up more and more. And so I'm with you. I'm pessimistic about human nature, maybe, but I don't know. I think we're just becoming more, we're becoming more selfish and self-interested. And yeah. yeah. So maybe don't go on social media. Maybe I gave you the wrong <laughs> advice. 
Well, Dr. Bonner, it was really great to have you on Let's Fix Work. I want everybody to learn more about your research and learn all about what you do. So where can people find you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm going to do that LinkedIn, update that page. Um, Also, I'm at Utah State University. So if you're interested in contacting me, if you want to talk more about this, feel free to look me up at Utah State University. I'm in the Huntsman School of Business here. So look me up and let's chat. Oh, very nice. Well, listen, Dr. Bonner, it was a real joy to have you on Let's Fix Work. Thanks again for um, just breaking it all down for us today. All right. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Everybody sit tight. We'll be right back with more Let's Fix Work. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Jelena Bonner. She's not really on social media, but go ahead and make her day by connecting with her on LinkedIn. And you can find more about her LinkedIn profile and all the research she's done on ethical leadership and moral behavior in our show notes. Let's Fix Work was recorded in Utah and North Carolina this week and produced by Emerald City Productions in Nashville, Tennessee. Danny Osmond brings the whole thing together and I'm internally grateful for that. If you've got some feedback for me, yeah, you got feedback for me, well, hit me up at hello at letsfixwork.com. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, Ultimate Software, who makes all of this good stuff possible. Visit them at ultimatesoftware.com. Now that's all for today and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work.